everybody. Welcome to the Tom Williams podcast. It is, I'm going to say episode seven. I probably should have checked before I started recording this, but that's just how I roll. I live life on the edge. You can probably hear church bells and seagulls. That's the sound of a Monday night in Hastings. Um, it's a lovely sunny day and the album came out on Friday, uh, which was amazing. Um, such a relief to get it out and thank you so much for all your kind words and positive messages. Um, as I've said many times, we recorded it in a week um, in January 2018. And uh, although it only got mixed and mastered by sort of June, July, it still feels like an age since we did it, um, which is silly really because Early Morning Rain came out in November. So actually it's, it's not that long to wait, but I'm pretty impatient. So um, it's been a real relief and it's been lovely to get it out there. And to hear all your positive reactions and also what your favourite songs are and stuff, that's been fantastic. When I started this podcast, I always knew I wanted to end the album podcasts here. This album wouldn't have happened without Tim Rice-Oxley and him offering up his production services and his amazing studio. So I really wanted to chat through what we'd created together um, at the end. I've always loved the kind of track-by-track format, which is normally me monologuing about you know when I wrote the songs and whatnot but I thought it'd be nicer to do that with Tim um, he really went through the whole process with me in terms of demoing going through demos um, shortlisting demos and then recording and then shortlisting the recordings and working out everything from track listings to okaying mixes to you know he was really so so generous with his time so um, we sat down a couple of weeks ago at Seafog Studios in the sun on a Saturday morning and uh, listened to the album and chatted a little bit after every song. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hate it when podcasts don't include the actual music on the, um, on the uh, podcast. So I'm going to include some clips of the songs. Um, you'll obviously enjoy this more if you've listened to the album already. If you haven't, I'd recommend you go and listen to the album and then come back because um, then you'll know what we're talking about and we might be talking about things that aren't in the clips I use, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, enjoy. Tim's an amazing guy, you know that, and um, the album's great. Hopefully you know that too. <laughs> oh, I should also say in terms of uh, music stuff, um, the album's out, uh, so do grab that if you haven't already. And we're on tour on Saturday uh, for a week, so we go um, off the top of my head. It's probably in the wrong order, order but Cambridge... No, sorry, Cardiff, good start. Cam Cardiff, Cambridge, Leeds, Newcastle, Sheffield, Glasgow, um, Oxford, Birmingham. Uh, but if you haven't got your tickets yet, um, now's the time. Uh, a lot of them are running low. And it's going to be a great time. We've got nine new songs in the set. So um, especially if you've been loving the record, uh, now is the time, people. Anyway, without further ado, episode 7 of the Tom Williams podcast, Mr. Tim Rice-Oxley. Tim, when did we meet? Can you remember? Well, we met at the Battle Festival, didn't we? Mm -hmm. um, On a panel. And, uh, yep, yep, dispensing wisdom. Yeah. Um... And then I think it was a couple of years. I think we met up for dinner at the Crown. That sounds right. And then um, I think then you invited me round to do one of these twenty-song days. What is a twenty-song day? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a writing technique that I've uh, I've read about in a book. 
um, that uh, in fact the band Doves mentioned it in a in a Sound on Sound interview that I was reading, and I thought I'll get this book and read about it. And uh, yeah, it's just a cool technique. We used to write all day, write for twelve hours, solid. Try and write twenty songs, um, which I've never successfully done you didn't tell me that though when i came no you were you you like 27 <laughs> or something <laughs> had a three-hour lunch break the thing that freaked me out is i did 20 and sort of about 13 of them were just sort of me howling or sort of maybe a couple <laughs> of lines and then we go we go to the pub and then come back and listen to and reflect on our work and you had you, you had sort of banded yours up a bit and you had string <laughs> sections and mine was sort of <laughs> feral howlings <laughs> uh, not at all well half of them made the album i think didn't they I think about three or four of them did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, do you do you write quite um, periodically? Anywhere are you quite good at on your days off coming in at at nine and plugging mm, away? I, yeah, I try to. I mean, I've not been very good for the last six months or so. But yeah, I, I've, I've if I've got time, um, I'll try and block out days, even if I'm on my own. And you know, it's not always easy to do twelve hours straight. No. But uh, but yeah, you know, even if you can do a few hours, it can be massively productive and and it, i guess that's the whole point of doing the 20 song game is it gets you into a sort of a uh a habit of of writing in that way you know sort of not judging yourself so much and and getting getting stuff down quickly uh, and instinctively so i think it's good you know and then you can apply that on uh, other other times if you know yeah. what i mean but also i think it proves that you can just go to work even if you don't feel particularly inspired yeah absolutely. you know what i mean and there's definitely um, there's definitely plenty of examples of that on there in terms of writers and stuff. You see, there's, there seems to be sort of two camps. One is that you sort of wait for lightning to strike, and one that I have someone. So I can't remember who it was. Someone, someone. There was a quote that was, "It's one thing waiting for lightning to strike, but you've got to be holding a lightning conductor, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the guitar or the piano. Yeah. Lightning can only strike if you pick it up or sit down." At it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, Picasso said that thing about inspiration exists, oh, but but it uh, it has to find you working, right? Which I love. You were saying yeah, yeah, the yeah. same the same thing. I I totally believe in that. You know, yeah, I think you've got to be. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly for me, anyway. I don't. I don't think you can sit around waiting. What I do, if I sit around waiting, I just get more and more convinced that I'm never ever going to write a song again. And yeah. you know, so you've got to get in there. and... I find normally you have to go through a couple of days of writing absolute dross and yeah, and you have to finish yourself. them as well. Yeah, yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah, I just definitely when I whenever I have songwriting students who say, "Oh, I'm just not finishing any songs at the moment," um, that's normally some kind of death knell. You know, something really <laughs> needs to change. Yeah, it should be said also that I'm doing that a lot at the moment, just not finishing anything. Yeah, we're all guilty of it. But I think yeah. Other, uh, I think, yeah, John Lennon once said to Ringo, I think, that you've got to finish the songs, otherwise you just don't know what they are. And also that it's really difficult to go back and change songs after they've been written. I I can't. Yeah. I'm really bad at that. Reusing lyrics, trying to sing them in a different rhythm or a different sort of, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, nothing makes my heart sink. Like when, you know, one of, one of my bandmates says, you know, I really love the verse of this song, but could you just go and write another chorus or something? <laughs> Like, you know, like that's the easy bit. <laughs> Sense of humour failure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, and I think we did a couple of those, and then eventually I had the courage to uh, send you demos of what I've been doing at home. And yeah. I think the first three tracks of the album that ended up being the album were songs that I'd sort of banded up at home. 
um, and the first one was run down. I think was only it's track one on the album I think it's also one of only two songs that we'd even played before we got in the studio right um so we kind of knew what we were doing a little bit um but I remember Tom the engineer when I picked him up from the station I think on for the first week um I said to him that I'd sent you the demos and he went oh Tim Tim does get demoitis <laughs> it does get attached to the demos and I said oh shit really <laughs> <laughs> What is it about Rundown that initially caught your ear when you first heard the demos? I think, I mean, like a lot of people, like anyone really, I, you know, you're, I'm attracted to a super catchy melody, you know, the yeah. first thing. It's got a great energy. Um, you know, it's a really uplifting song, despite the... The subject lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, that's the best kind of song, I think. You yeah. Know, the, the, the sort of sad song with a... Happy melody, you know, yeah. so it's a I great I, I trick also, to pull off. I also remember uh, after maybe the second 20-song day, um, we were chatting about Bruce and we were chatting about Tom Petty, particularly mm. sort of Full Moon Fever Tom Petty. In hindsight, the chord sequences are arguably the same as the chorus of um, Won't Back Down. It's the, <laughs> hey, baby. But yeah, I think I think I think on the demo it was also quite Cynthia. It was definitely that sort of born in the USA um sound, wasn't it? Yeah, it's very strident. And yeah, I mean I I think throughout, I mean, I thought your demo was great. And I think, you know, it's ended up basically as a sort of I guess a, a sort of bigger, more live version of the same yeah. Same thing. I think it's just got that trying to trying to capture the boldness of it yeah and, you know big strident chords um added guitar solo yeah fantastic guitar <laughs> at the end from Ant. you know really really superb um I, yeah i mean i love it it's my probably my favorite song on the album um, it should be it should also be noted that the sort of the format of the recording sessions you know we did it all pretty much in about a week i think the first session was eight days i think it was friday to maybe a bit longer maybe nine days friday to sunday but it was pretty much each song only got about half a day. Yeah. Didn't it? And, yeah, and yeah. some of them, the first kind of six songs we did in the sessions got vocals done as we went. And then I got a cold. Um, but I think this was, I can't remember. I think we added, this was maybe, we maybe did the vocals later. We added Fee, um, Ant's wife, Fee, Vickery on the choruses later. Um but I think with, with I think with this kind of song it's quite straightforward what we had to do because we had an arrangement already. Um, I think you know it's really the the half day was spent sort of just getting a take, slavishly playing, <laughs> and you know the band hadn't played any of these songs. Um, and I actually I interviewed Jack the drummer recently and I had to admit to him and sort of apologise to him because I realised in hindsight that when you're playing live as a band and you're trying to get a take, the only person that really needs to nail it is the drummer. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And the way we did it with six people in the room at the same time, five people in the room at the same time, just looking at him. Really, we were only waiting for him to yeah. sort his shit uh, out. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, you, you, you know, you 
you cracked the whip on him, I think he's, and he, he rose to a challenge. He was he was awesome. I thought he played fantastically, and well, I thought the whole band played fantastically. And yeah. you know, it, even though it's like, you know what I was saying about the, uh, you know, it sounds a bit um, unfair to say it's just a sort of slightly bigger version of the demo. Yeah. I mean, it, that requires everyone to play really sympathetically and yeah. with each other and with the song. And but you know, but, you know I, I just felt like everyone immediately sort of rose to that and. Yeah, it's it just sounds so huge, and I I do think the uh, I think Ant stuff at the end is, um, you know, sort of bring brings a whole new uh, element to a song. You know, just when you sort of need that yeah. that new thing for the last third or whatever. Yeah, track two on the album is rock and roll, which I think was the first, maybe the second song that I wrote for the album, um, and it was um, I think I was thinking that I might do something more acoustic after the All Change album. So it kind of, lyrically, it was sort of coming back to this slightly storytellery mm-hmm. mode, uh, lyrically. But that was another one on the first round of demos that I sent you. Found me some friends and we made a band Sent our heart and soul to a middle-aged man He emailed us back and said we didn't understand But what does he know? He's just a businessman And we played some shows And texted all our friends and everyone we know We built it up steady and we built it up slow Now I just refresh my email, sit by my phone In terms of rock and roll, lyrically, I think it's it's almost like an alternative narrative for me. It's got the first half of the song is exactly what happened to us. You start playing gigs in your hometown and then you play a gig in London and you have to get a minibus up to get, mm-hmm. you know, you try and get everyone up on the train and, you know, you convince the promoter that you've got 12 people there and you try and get your 20 quid and then yeah. you get back on the train. But I think, and then after the breakdown, it's kind of, what I've seen happen, um, totally understandably, which is basically people stop playing music, um, but then you sort of you find them in the bar next to the next to the live venue, sort of bitching about how shit all the other bands are. Yeah. Um, but it's because there's sort of this crushed dream. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's that's it's a it's common trajectory, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, it's inevitable, isn't it? I mean, you think. I always think about all the bands we played with. You know, if you play enough gigs, you play hundreds of bands. Don't yeah. You, you know. You, like four band bills or even more and, and then you sort of where, start where to are see, they yeah and you start to see all the other bands whistle up the ladder past you and yeah and yeah, then you yeah. turn up for the next week and like oh they've they were in the enemy radar column or do you know what i mean it's always that kind of thing or lamac played their song yeah um but the the uh the dictaphone um the sort of the slightly t- t- tapey intro at the beginning of the song we ran it through a dictaphone that um was it a dictaphone i think it was yeah. Yeah. and it had a little cassette in it that had um, an early Keen demo on it, <laughs> rubbernecking. The only copy. Really? No, no. We didn't record over it, I don't <laughs> think. I think we just ran it through. But wh- can you remember, you would have been playing those kind of gigs, you know, at the time that you did that demo? Or yeah. You, what kind of time would that have been? Uh, that was, our or? first gig was 98. So, no, we, um, 
we were pretty late starters in a way. I mean, we we sort of dithered around for quite a, a while, two or three years probably, and then we started playing gigs in, in 1998. And we did that until, you know, we got, well, our first album was 2004, so we, we played a lot of, a lot of gigs. We were living in North London and playing at the, well, lots of venues that aren't there anymore, but places like the Barfly, and, yeah. which I assume is still going. Um, I, think it is. I think it's called uh, something else now. Right. But yeah, I mean, we just played everywhere. We played, we used to go and play this weird pub in High Wycombe, the White Horse. Anyway, <laughs> I know, we played also Maidstone, you know. We'd just go anywhere that would take us, basically. And, yeah. um, and were there any bands that you remember playing with starting out, you know, in those first kind of five, six years that, that did go on to sort of stick it out? I don't I mean, well we played a few gigs with Coldplay um very early on um is that cuz of uni and yeah, yeah. cuz I knew Chris well, and, and the other guys and they kindly uh basically they kindly offered us you know asked us to support them at the we definitely did a 12 bar club which is Demo gone, Street. sadly yeah, yeah um which was great uh and so you know a few other shows together um and yeah the, I I can't remember we certainly um, there was one band I remember, but I sadly can't remember their name. For some reason, I think it was something to do with monkeys, but I, I, don't, know <laughs> that might, I don't know what that's based on. But um, they were incredibly organised, and um, they uh, they were so good, and they they were so tight, and they had all these super melodic songs. Um, they were a bit like that band, The Delays, or something. It's really oh, I great, that you know, lovely songs. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, oh, you know, this is. They're really showing us up here. Yeah. Um, and it probably made quite a big difference because we played with them quite a few times at the Barfly. And I think it m- sort of made us up our game a bit because you don't want to be that band that turns up and you're sort of standing there. You know, some amazing band goes on and then you have to go on and be slightly embarrassed. And also you see maybe what a particular kind of song does to an audience and you think, oh, we yeah. need a song that that does that as well or you know what I mean we need a yeah. fast swung one or we need a one with a big breakdown where you can say we introduce all, the band members you know what I mean yeah yeah like, we always said we always needed one more rocker yeah. we still still now every we album always need one more rocker yeah. the, gig, the gigs get longer and you still don't have you know your ratio of rockers to to sort of slow you know <laughs> yeah. when everyone can go to the bar yeah songs um so uh, yeah, so yeah, we I mean we learned a huge amount, and it made it made a huge difference to our um, probably to the songwriting, but definitely to the arranging of songs, mm. you know, and and just sort of having absolutely no dead word at all. You know, well, you only really know if a song works if you play it. You play it to a crowd, really. Yeah, it's just the best way. Or even better, play it to an empty room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's even so then imp- you learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm. Just the effect I have on things Like driving a stolen car The crash through people's fences On the wrong side of the road I don't stop to think of you, love I can't do what I'm told It ain't dawned on me That I think about you every minute Dawned on me That I'm not good enough and it dawned on me that I could try a little harder Just dawned on me 
track three is Dawned On Me, which again was part of that initial batch of demos that I sent to you. I remember when I was, um, I had a, a, a nice purple patch of writing where I wrote about four times in a week, you know, in between guitar lessons. And there was another song um, that I thought was the one, the magic slowy, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah. um, the ballad. Um, and then this one came after and I, and I remember sort of scolding myself at the time and thinking that with Dawned On Me, I just tried to do it again. And then in hindsight, I'd realised that this one was the special one and actually the other one was a bit rubbish. Um, right. Are you any good at knowing when you've, when you've written a, a good song or a magic song or have you ever, or, or do you always find that you're sort of too close to it and you actually don't know what's good and what's not? Um, I think a bit of both probably. I mean, by and large, I think you do get a sort of bit of a shivery feeling when... You know, I, I often find if I get a sort of lump in the throat, you know, it, you know, you're yeah. <laughs> tapping into something that's at least meaningful to you. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're that kind of songwriter, then that's likely to be the stuff that yeah. moves other people. Um, but, you know, I have, I have missed songs before. Every, everybody's Changing was one I completely, you know, uh, I almost didn't really bother finishing the demo of and, wow. and played a very rough, very, very, very rough demo to uh, um, Caroline Ellery, who, who was our, who just signed us to Universal or BMG Publishing as it was at the time, uh, who sort of discovered us, I suppose. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and she loved it. Um, was that, was yeah. it, did that end up being the second single of Hopes and Fears or was it, it did, one of the singles? It did. It? In a way, it was the sort of the most successful even though somebody we know was the first single oh was it okay um bed shaped as well yeah somebody we know everybody's changing and bed shaped and this is the last time i think but but yeah it's funny so i mean i don't know i think sometimes you get as a songwriter you can get that thing where you think oh this one's just too simple or well, something too it down the middle or be good yeah yeah um but you probably everybody needs one of those um or preferably quite a few of those. Yeah. But uh yeah, I mean I don't know. I think um the thing it I don't know, maybe it's hard when you're the actual writer, but for me, like this song, I think when you tap I don't know if you had this feeling when you wrote it, it sounds like maybe not, but <laughs> you know, if it's such an emotional song and it's so it's so giving emotionally, I think. You know, it's very Yeah. You know, you're kind of uh opening yourself up in a not an entirely flattering way yeah and i think once you do that you know it completely changes the the face of an album i think it was a borrowed title i think i was at the time i was i was stealing a lot of titles using them as uh launch pads for automatic writing exercises and stuff in workshops and i think because the title the phrase dawned on me had come from somewhere else um it didn't feel totally my own and so it felt like I was attaching my own observations in the verse to someone else's observations in the chorus. And I hadn't quite realized what the sum effect was. Mm. And then when I realized that, because I, I had the melody, I think, and I had the, the, I knew what I wanted to say. I wanted to say it dawned on me, bloody blur, dawned on me, bloody blur. Um, I was just kind of filling in the gaps. Um, and then when I, when I when I demoed it, I kind of realised that it was really, you know, in that kind of mid to early noughties kind of, yeah, sad boy, soft rock, Travis, 
Coldplay mm. keen thing. Um, and, and in the end, we sort of stuck quite forensically to the demo. You know, Ant had to play my slightly sucky guitar line. And <laughs> <laughs> a great guitar line. And uh, we had to, I think we just we just replaced all the parts that I'd done on the demo, but on the real thing. So we put real Mellotron on and we put, you know. But I'm just, I mean, that song terrified me because of all the demos, I thought that one was perfect as a demo. Yeah. And I remember we tried using the demo vocals that I'd done and we actually did use Sarah's um backing vocals that we'd recorded on my sofa at home we had we ha- we actually did drop those onto the final record um but this one was the one i was like most worried about and i just mm. and even when it comes on now um and i listen to how sympathetically and how musically the band play on it i think that's the emotional thing for me yeah um sometimes it's just a question of not not screwing it up. <laughs> yeah, it's just everyone's had that band member that does the filler for your most important line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it tired of game that old dogs play? You be the freshest me or the weakest prey. And you can blame yourself or misbehave. Track four was Graveyard. I think I did write this um, consciously trying to write a rocker because mm-hmm. the swung songs, are, the fast swung songs are always the ones that get people moving. There's a boat song called Hurricane and there's a, a song off the last t- um, album, All Changed, called Little Bird. It's got the same kind of swung thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one really took off from the demo. Um you know, especially, you know, the ba ba da 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 ant guitar line is amazing. And um, there was a Father John Misty song called Ideal Husband on I Love You, Honey Bear, which was kind of a reference as well. Um, but I thought Jack, the drummer, absolutely knocked it out of the park on this one. I, th- I felt like just fast swung fills. He just wasn't even thinking about it. I think this was one of the ones we did the least takes on. Yeah, um, great band performance. Yeah, definitely. it's absolute rocker, and we're and and we did it live on this um, this last January February tour, and um, by the first chorus, everyone's on board. It's mm-hmm. really good. It's also got a weird key change going into the chorus that I wasn't totally conscious of. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, it's it's a nice. It's got a nice sort of dark twist to it. Which, you know, it's yeah, perf- perfect for the song, I guess, and probably also stops it being. Two sort of meat and potatoes. Yeah, you know, it's got a, it's got a great. Uh, it's not. It doesn't feel super straight. Yeah, I I think that the lyric I've got. There's a graveyard in my head where all my dreams are dead. Was a, a lyric from about 2012. I've literally tried to write that lyric into a song about ten times, <laughs> um, uh, and I just have have never managed it. But I think, I think for me, you know. This is this is that that sort of the live sound of the band on this this performance, I think. Summer comes, winter fades, and the rivers freeze, and the plans you made. 
is Stay Afloat and this is the first song on the album that appears that came from the tw- one of the 20 song days and I remember when we'd come back from the pub and I was playing all the ideas through and the idea before this one I was taking the piss out of and we were laughing and I kind of skipped past this one and I thought you hadn't hadn't noticed it because I just didn't think it was very good. <laughs> and uh, and then at the very end, you said, oh, I like the one with the sometimes you want me, sometimes mm. you don't thing. But I feel like that lyric I would never have written if I wasn't doing one of the 20 song, you know what I mean? If I wasn't in the middle of a 20 song yeah, day. Yeah, right. I feel like that lyric is far too close to the bone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just in terms um, of... The uh, best ones. Yeah. Um, what synth do you reckon... Because this is this is one of the really synthy sounding ones. I mean, yeah. about as synthy as we get on this record. Yeah, I love that that kind of spacey yeah synth thing. You know, there's probably my favourite moments of the record in a way. Um, I think I think I think it's just because it takes up so much sonic space. The rest of the band kind of get out the way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's instead of a strumming guitar or something. You know, you could put something in that space. Jack's almost on that sort of kraut rocky, really fast. Yeah, I always think he's going to get shin splints when I listen to those kick jump pads. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's nice, and I mean, I I love it that it, it you know, especially contrasting, say, Graveyard, you know, which is yeah. very much sort of band, uh, you know, rocking out yeah. performance. You know, this is, feels very tight. You know, much simpler. It's much more about, you know, creating a kind of soundscape, and then the song itself is at the middle of it. Yeah, um, I, I love that. I think there was sort of a more festival pleasy ending on this in the demo that you yeah. cut, you cut, and then. It was one of the first instances when you encouraged Ant to take another guitar solo. <laughs> um, you know, we'll talk about that more maybe on the next song on the album, keeping it in. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it's I, I think for this one, I think Jake was in the control room on this keyboard, the CS80, which mm. um, the CS80 kind of became the focus of all our kind of nerdy obsessions during I think this record because we didn't, we I'd never seen one before. It's used a lot on Born in the USA and a lot of records in the mid-80s. Is that how you came to have it, through kind of Born in the USA geekydom? Uh, no, it was more... What would it have been? Um, do you know what? I think it was probably more of a, a sort of Blade Runner oh, yeah. thing, you know, and I, um, you know, huge, very, very soundscape pads. Yeah. Um, but somehow full of emotion, you know, which is not always easy to achieve yeah. with a, a synth. Um, it's a very, uh, it's because it's got sort of, it's very, you know, got after touch and it's got always, you know, it, it, you can you can really play it uh, like an instrument yeah, rather yeah. than just, it's not like sort of pressing a load of buttons. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you were saying before we started recording, you were saying, you know, I want to introduce more synths into the music. Yeah. But, you know want them to be sort of emotional and you know i can't remember the words you use but it it, it, it sort of immediately 
made me think of the the CS80. Basically, I think we were talking about maybe like Tunnel of Love and yeah, uh, I love that, that sort album, of thing. Yeah, um, and yeah, and the CS80 is perfect for that. And I think you know it's great for like Jake's style of playing as well. Yeah. You know, Jake was in a synthy wonderland. Yeah, I couldn't believe his luck. <laughs> but also, what's weird is that all the all the sort of simulations, all the sounds that I wanted that I'd gone for on demos, were sort of exactly in the wheelhouse of the sort of that era of music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think I think Stair floats quite a, a dark horse on this record. I think it's sort of, I think it and keeping it in merge into each other on the record. You know, the the sound kind of keeps going. Um, it sort of dips and then it goes straight into track six, keeping it in. But um, I think these two together, I feel like I feel of as a pair because they're both in that sort of synth land. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's been really nice live to try and keep it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how we do it. Maybe you hit the drone at the end of the, on the last beat of that song. <laughs> it's, I know it's 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 uh, yeah. I really love how they go into each other. Keep your eyes down for the final time, making me yours, making me mine. All the things we did together as kids. I can't see you Keep it all hid Pain is a way of marking self on the skin It's there on the inside too Keeping it in Next up, we have Keeping It In, which is vinyl-wise, end side one. Um, And I think it's one of the most sort of important songs on the record, just because it's got that lovely bit of space, sort of when, you know, the song is kind of finished, but the band get to, um, you know, sort of really sort of spread out and... You know, Ant takes this guitar solo. We have to talk about this guitar solo, but I remember quite early on, it's sort of in emails talking about what we were going to do. You said it would be great to accentuate all the sounds, make the synths more synthy. You know, bring in more synths, um, make all the space. You know, make all the solos longer. And yeah. and um, I think I'd got into this habit of cutting all the fat off all the songs. But I think um, definitely a few of my albums have the or at their sort of their fault is it's all they're almost too lean you know you can yeah. have you can have sort of 10 songs in a row that you just you can't remember any of them and they've all come out they all finish at two minutes 30 and you've had five courses in each song and you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah it can all sort of happen too quickly in a way and i think i think it's a great moment in the album to you know such a hypnotic song yeah i think and you can really lose yourself in it and it's thought-provoking lyrically um you know it's uh probably probably something you know pretty much everyone can relate to in terms of i don't know a sort of mental health aspect of it um and i think you know once you're in that space and you you know you're sort of suctioned for song it's a it you can it's a great moment to then get really lost in it and just sort of let it wash over you and it'd be a shame if you sort of got to the end of the last chorus and then you're on for the next song and you haven't got yeah. time to sort of 
I remember listening to it. it. Yeah, I remember listening to it all for the first time and and recognizing that this was the first point that your your ears can take a breather. Yeah. On the record, you know, you've had five songs in about fifteen minutes. Yeah, with a lot of information. Yeah. You know, especially lyrically, yeah. I think you know there's a lot. There's a lot going on because you're yeah, that yeah. kind of writer, which is great. Yeah, you know, it's it's it is great to have a chance to, um, you know, make yeah, make sure it's all sort of yeah. <laughs> sink, sinking in. You know, you're not just left sort of battered at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Having just heard about four thousand words in about yeah, yeah twenty five minutes, um, I think it'll be a really great one live. You know, to stretch out even longer. Yeah. Um, I think it's really excited about that. I think yeah, I think the song was written um, maybe it's one of the only songs that was written maybe on the second uh, twenty song day, and you had this lovely little amp uh, called a Champ, um, and I that day I wrote quite a lot of my electric, um, and I th- honestly I think it, it took maybe about sort of ten minutes to flesh out what the verse and the chorus were going to do. Mm. But the other big musical reference is uh, is War on Drugs, which is why I sort of you know, the keeping it in. <laughs> I kind of um, discounted it for that. You know, it almost sounds out of the infidels' Dylan camp, you know, mm. it's the kind of uh, the cadence of the words and the rhythm of the words almost reminds me of sort of Joker Man or, you know, when Dylan is gets with Knopfler and the synths coming in, but, you know, you've got the songs. and Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I think, I think, we, I think the first War on Drugs album that I really got into was Slave Ambient. Did you mm-hmm. ever hear that one? Yeah, yeah. But the one I think the best album is the Lost in the Dream album. Yeah. And I think actually the Run Down, the lyric I'm a bit run down at the moment, is on one of those songs. <laughs> uh I think it's maybe Eyes to the Wind, which is yeah. my favourite song on that album. Um when did you get into War on Drugs? Um I happened to know their manager, so and I remember her playing Baby Missiles oh, yeah. before it came out. And I just thought, wow, this is Mind blowing. And in fact, we we had it as our walk on music for our whole Strange Land tour. I think. Wow. Um, so Hipsters. I heard it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're probably a bit twitchy and nervous now. Yeah. You know, whenever you hear that now. No. Exactly. Panic. I shall have got to be somewhere. Um, but yeah, I've seen them live quite a few times as well. And, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just a, just a great band. I remember seeing them at the Concord too and on the Lost in the Dream tour. No, maybe the Slave Ambient tour. Because there's that amazing, I can't remember what it's called. Track three on the album is this amazing sort of swung, loping song. But there was a bit in the sort of the third quarter of the set where Adam's solos were just getting longer and longer. <laughs> and the lighting man had obviously got bored or had fallen on a button because the strobe was just on. And um, it was like a rave. It was everyone was sort of hypnotized by the sort of the, you know what I mean? Just getting into this meet, um, metronomic kind of synthy, swimmy, mm. rocky thing. I think that's definitely the closest we got to it on this track. Um, but also, I think also something that you encouraged us to do is rather than sort of deny the obvious inspirations of the song is actually to maybe push them as far as you possibly can, which is almost like one of those Brian Eno strategies, isn't it? <laughs> if you if you hear if you hear it sounds a bit Brucey, just make it the Bruciest thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to... I think you've you've got to make the song sound the best, the best it, can. it can possibly yeah. be, and you know if it's I th- I've my feeling generally is if a song starts off as being a bit war on drugs, 
inspired like nothing you can do is gonna really mask that yeah. you know or if it does it's probably gonna be at the expense of yeah the song which you know isn't, yeah. isn't worth it you know i don't think anyone's gonna uh think any less of you yeah. for, for being influenced you know everybody's you know obviously influenced by other people yeah when we went to get the album cut on vinyl um we uh it was being cut by a chap called uh jeff pesh who he's an amazing chap he cut blue monday by new order yeah. and wow. he um which is like and it, which is like the best selling vinyl single of all time and he also you know mastered everything from kylie to the spice girls to whatever anyway he was cutting the record and the lathe was cutting the record and you have to set the speed that the record needs to cut at so you get all the information onto the one side and he looked at the audio and he looked how much how many minutes were and he slightly miscalculated the first cut and it's cutting at real time so it cut keeping it in off about 30 seconds from the end just as Ant's <laughs> solo was really getting into it and he said oh sorry boys i'm going to have to start again so he took the he took the uh the the record off and gave it to ant he said here we go mate. you have that one <laughs> and i said look ant's not going to say anything jeff because he's super polite but that record has got no it's got it's got the whole side one on it apart from his favorite bit which is his guitar <laughs> solo so jeff said okay Boy, hang man. on so he flipped the record over and he just he just dropped the needle, the lathe on the record, just where his solo starts. Oh. So Ant's got a side of vinyl with just the solo of keeping it in <laughs> on. <laughs> quite Which right. Is yeah, quite right. I'm alive, no time, but some blood, feel fine. Nothing more, nothing less, little red light in her chest. Talks to me, as she walks with me, as she flies, as she feels, and she laughs with me, as she prays sometimes. She prays sometimes. Cause the night brings you worries and sadness. And then side two starts with Early Morning Rain. It was the first song we recorded in the sessions. I think it is the oldest song on the album. I think I, rec I wrote it in summer 2016, before All Change had come out. And, um, yeah, normally when you record, you, the first song you record, you, you kind of pick an, un an unimportant song because the band are getting used to the headphones. And, yeah. um, and uh, we thought, you know, Early Morning Rain, you know, it's not as... It's not. It's not an important song. It's not going to be a single. And I think we did it before lunchtime on the first day, and then it ended up being picked as the first single, <laughs> which is like will, will become a, a current running theme on this. On especially on side two, um, you know, the songs that we thought were the most important on, the, on this record, um, you know, to date haven't haven't been singles. Um, when Kevin, um, the radio chap, um, heard the album. He texted me about five texts in a row just saying early morning rain is the one. <laughs> and I remember thinking, no, 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 it's not. Run down is the one. Rock and roll is the one. Dawn on me is the one. And um, he stuck to his guns and, it, you know, he was right. And people have really connected to this song. Um, 
but I think this one's got an atmosphere to it, which I don't think I was aware of when we recorded it. Yeah, it's very atmospheric. I think, again, you know, I think full credit to you guys as, as a band for creating that. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, yeah, I felt the same, I think. I, you know, I liked the demo. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this, this is cool and it's got some weird sort of dark chords in it and yeah. stuff. But I didn't, uh, even though I liked the song, I didn't feel it was sort of super captivating and no. like sort of conjured you into a let's keep a it space, positive but, <laughs> but but when it when it all you know i felt it just totally came to life as a you know as a band performance again and yeah and also in the mix i think as well i think ian yeah, who right. mixed the record you know because in that in that bridge section you know, and she prays sometimes the guitars just kind of go kick down and then nothing you know then kick mm. down and really it's that it's that hammond organ yeah it's jake on the on the hammond and I remember when the song first got played on Steve Lamac, um, someone commented something about um, someone. Someone. Someone wrote something like, "Call the police! Ben Montench has been robbed," or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. And there's a lot, you know. I think. I think. Yeah. Um, I think we because we had a lot of Hammond on the on the last record all changed, but um, I think this is the most sort of prominent it's been. It's just such a great sound. Yeah, it's very dramatic on that song, particularly you know yes. the Hammond plus those chords and obviously the lyrics, you know, which yeah, are yeah, pretty yeah. sort of dark and atmospheric as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's a perfect combination. I love the and I think this sort of the obviously the Hammond by definition is quite a sort of um, it's a constant sound if you know what oh, I mean. I see what and I, I and I love the way that ants like guitar is all sort of bending in the Snaking background around and stuff it, yeah, yeah. And, and like pitching in a sort of slightly sort of exotic and uh yeah i know what you mean way. actually yeah which is weird because the song was finished in bali maybe and knew yeah, that you know yeah. you go. he's very sensitive <laughs> right? yeah anthony my mother told me you were feeling sick again world had kicked you sideways kicked you down It's not like you these days to relapse back again To let your mind assault you, take you for a fool Sometime in the future, none of this will last Sometime in the future, all of this will pass Sometime in the future, none of this will last Sometime in the future, all of this will pass. And then, I've lost track of the numbers now. Track eight is Sometime. Confusingly, there was a song on the last album called Sometimes. And this was definitely um, a 20-song-a-day song. I think this was maybe number 17 or 18. So at this point, I'm completely insane. Yeah. And I was literally writing almost verbatim uh, from some texts that my mum had sent me about, you know, a childhood friend who was having a tough time. And I think it's like that, and with rock and roll and 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 definitely keeping it in and stay afloat, there are lyrics on this album that I would never have written if I wasn't if I wasn't writing so much. I think that's what the 20 song a day thing does. You know, you're literally scraping every barrel you've got in terms of your subconscious and all the stories you've ever been told and all the relationships you have with people, some people you see every day, some people you haven't seen for 20 years. And um, I think this is one of those those stories that's, that sort of reared its head through 
extensive writing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you definitely, I think when you do those those long, long days of writing, you get to, as you say, you get to a point mm. three quarters of the way through your day where you're sort of slightly on a sort of higher plane or, or lower plane. Well, you're or just, some, yeah, some different you're just thinking, what, what have I have I written at all the speeds? You know what I mean? You're almost yeah. working through formally what you can do. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I thought this song was just, I thought I was just putting another, you know, another just getting another song written just trying to get to the end you know what i mean but actually it's weird i'd been i'd been teaching uh, a lot of road tripping by the chili peppers which is a really lovely thing a picky song at the end of californication and those kind of shapes which are almost sort of blackbirds slowed down i'd been teaching a lot and i kind of i just reached for them um but it's um it's a weird one because it's another it's another sort of audio breather um but it's it's a, it completely snuck up on me this song because I think it is a really special song, um, and I think that chorus, you know, sometime in the future, none of this will last, could ap- apply to almost anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be mortality, it could be a relationship, it could be the band, it could be the song. You know, it could be, you know, um, it's so weird because it's you know you do these twenty song days and it's like you're it's like you're in a dream. It's so weird, and then you sort of wake up and you listen to everything that you've recorded <laughs> in your dream. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful song, and it's maybe it's more, um, uh, you know, philosophical in a way. I guess there's a lot of um, there's a lot of, sort of solid information in the songs. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm looking at it from a kind of songwritery lyrical point of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas this, you know, song maybe is, I guess, you know production wise but also lyrically it's it's got so much a lot more space in it and a lot more uh it's like it's less didactic or something it's uh it sort of almost lets you off lets you off the hook or something emotionally yeah. in, in, a, in a very sympathetic way which i think i think is i guess the verses really are nice. super specific aren't they yeah it was true. really interesting i was i was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about universality in songs and how actually the way, you know, a lot of people write, try and write songs that they think are going to appeal to everybody. They mm. sort of say, you know, first line is, I've had some tough times, I've had some good times, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then someone else was singing about, was talking about how actually people really love details. Yeah. You know, and they love specifics. And actually, that's the most universal thing. Because, you know, if you sing, if you write, I don't know. I was talking about this to a, someone I was writing with recently. We're talking about Phoebe Bridges because Phoebe Bridges is amazing at it. She'll put really specific details in, and it makes it more relatable. Yeah, you know she, you know she'll 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 say something instead of sort of you know, I woke up in your t-shirt. She'll say, I woke up in your Metallica t-shirt. Mm. And even though, you know, even though you you think that that would you know close the door on on people that had ever woken up in anyone's t-shirt that wasn't a metal t-shirt <laughs> or anything, but it's not. It just like, makes it more real, I think. Yeah, totally. And on this song, I think the the verses are all, you know, it's all like, you know, your mother told me and it's you're getting information through another person and it's, you know, you know, you're living with your brother now and you've been doing this again. And But then, but then the chorus is kind of, it's so open, you know. Yeah. It's almost like, and it, and it's and it's both positive and negative as well. You know, if you're going through a horrible thing, the notion that you know this won't last forever is is a positive thing. And if it's, if you, you know, it's also it's if you're going through a, a you know a nice time, then 
you know, recognizing that it's not going to last forever is a quite a sobering thing. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird little thing. It's almost like, um, you know, musically, you know, as I think songwriters, we, we fret so much over chords and about, and, but actually it, it makes you realize that it's, it's not the chords. You can, you can play something, you know, that opening guitar figure could be anything from, you know, Jackson C. Frank to Laura Marling to Simon and Garfunkel to anything, but it's, mm. it just reminds you that it's the lyrical content. It's the emotional content. That's like the only important thing. Yeah, especially on a song like this. Yep. Okay, so It's Dark Now is a song that was maybe the penultimate song we recorded. Mm. And we were both pretty convinced that it wasn't going to be on the album. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I did a vocal at the time. I had a filthy cold. And uh, I came in about a month later to to redo or to, to do vocals properly. And we never replaced the snotty vocal. And... um, and I, I so remember with this song, I sent I sent all the demos to to you, and I sent them to manager Tim and um, Kevin, the radio guy. And uh, Kevin said he he really liked it's dark now, and as well as other songs. And um, and then we'd left it off the list of songs that we were going to record, and then um, Kevin made us re-add it to the songs we were going to record, <laughs> and then we recorded them, and then we left it off the album, and then Kevin made us put it back on the album. <laughs> so I feel like you and I have fought against this song. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was watching a Rolling Stones documentary, and there was a bit where Keith was talking about how he wrote Street Fighting Man, and he had this big 50s Gibson, this big jumbo Gibson, this big country guitar, and he was recording it into a dictaphone, and he'd put the microphone for the dictaphone too close to his guitar and he'd gone down and it had distorted and sounded like an electric guitar. And I went to the back room and I just did the same. I went kick it down because I have the same guitars. Oh my God, I've got the same guitar. I'm going to go back to the back room and play Street Fighting Man. Um, and that's literally how it, it came out. And I think because I was thinking about riots and Street Fighting Man, there's stuff about the Trump riots in there and there's, you know, but it's, um, you know, written in about two minutes. Um, but just so funny how, you know, this has ended up being on the record yeah i mean it's to be fair it's it's the recording itself i think it's turned out great and the performance yeah. i mean you know it's it it sounds really good i think it does something that none of the other songs do true yeah um yeah but it's an interesting one have you have you ever have you ever as a band tried to abandon songs at the roadside only for people to force <laughs> you to turn around and put them back in the in the car uh i'm sure we have we've actually been debating debating on recently um which is an old an old song which jesse very annoyingly sort of brought out (laughs) at the kind of song selection time so what about this one yeah and um from an old album session or from like 2005 um so it would have been a demo for the second album yeah second keen album but uh you know I, i loved it 
13 years ago <laughs> or whatever yeah. you know but um but now it's sort of it's moments past so it's uh but but do, do, unfortunately do david coston latched onto it and oh no you know months later still won't shut up about it but do songwriters get aggrieved at this because it makes them feel slightly out of control in that you know What's wrong with what I'm writing now? Do you know what I mean? There's oh some... yeah, I mean, my 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 mum is the worst for that. She whatever songs I play her, she says, "What about that song? I wrote a song before we were signed or anything. I wrote a song uh, for which I gave to Richard Curtis for Love Actually, <laughs> um, and uh, it was called Love Actually. It's actually a really lovely song, I think. Um, and you never used it. Never used it. It's just still in a sort of very rubbishy demo form. But whatever I play, my mum. Um, she still says, "Oh, you know, I quite like those." But when are you going to do Love Actually? But actually, the title is lovely, isn't it? Love Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. So can you remember yeah. what the lyrics were on the chorus or anything? Had you written it into the chorus? Yeah, totally. Love. I can't remember. Love Actually. Love. Love Actually. Love that you will find and stuff. I don't know. It all sort of tied into yeah. the verse. It's very, very soppy, but it's a real My weepy parents do the same. Nice melody. Yeah, we did a show in November. At it's November 2017 at Bush Hall, which is, you know, a really lovely big room, and we were all having a great time, and my dad still heckles a song <laughs> from 2006 mm. from the audience. It's like you haven't done anything good since then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, he'll and he knows full well that... He, it's like he hasn't thought about what happens after he shouts it out. Mm. Because then what has to happen is that I have to tell my dad to shut up <laughs> in front of 400 people, and everyone doesn't know what's going on. Um, yeah. What is it with parents and that, isn't it? It's, yeah. And then the penultimate song on the record is Crying at the TV. I think when it landed in your inbox, it was probably called Skull Crusher. Great title. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you wanted to keep the title. Absolutely. And Kevin, Kevin again, Kevin the radio man, said, uh, love the song, hate the title. He was absolutely vehement about it. Mm. Uh, I remember writing this song the morning after a house party. I was really hungover. And um, the lyrics are pretty much what happened at this house party. We'd started at about two in the afternoon and everyone was out on the sun drinking and it got to about seven or eight. And um, two guys were play fighting um, on a bed, which was kind of in the middle of the house. Everyone was kind of walking through the bedroom to get to the garden and then back through the bedroom to get to the living room. And uh, this bed collapsed and they ended up punching each other and beating each other up. And then uh, Laura, my friend John's girlfriend, had gone in to try and break it up, and one of them had taken a swing at her. So at that point, everyone was like, right, 
you've got to leave. So mm. this guy got ushered out. And on his way out, the uh, he was he was clearly on some other plane, but um, he was sort of crying and saying, oh, you're never going to be my friends anymore. It was that kind of stage in a house party. <laughs> Great day. Yeah, and he was, um, and there, it's this beautiful big Hastings house that had been split into about six flats, and there was this sort of almost uh, stained glass window in the hallway, and he put his fist through the glass in the hall. And as he pulled his fist back through the glass, he sort of he sort of butterflied his, his lower arm and, um, and then sort of bled all over the, the hallway and stumbled out and then lay on the lay on the pavement sort of bleeding to death and then um someone had to take their shirt off and sort of tie his arm up and then the ambulance arrived and he refused to get arrested so then they had to call the police because if the police sorry the ambulance arrived and he wouldn't get into the ambulance so then they had to call the police because if the police arrested him he had to get into the ambulance <laughs> so it's literally is what what the song is about but i remember writing it really hung over and just thinking this is a bit silly but it's good to keep writing um, and everyone kind of reacted to it on the demos, and it was, and I think it was then transformed by Jake taking that space echo and doing that siren thing. Yeah, very cool. Again, yeah. puts you in a puts you in a space. Yeah, I mean the lyrics are very, again, you know, specific, but then they yeah. put you in a, you know, if they tell tell a particular story, I think you know maybe at that point in the album, you don't want you know there's been a lot of emotion, you know, yeah, very intense emotional songs of, of various flavors yeah and it's great to suddenly go off in a completely different direction yeah. you know again into i don't know it's a it's a, another very much a storytelling song but quite a yeah violent but well, very well, it's a fight song isn't it? and yeah. a violent sounding song as yeah. well you know so it's a big change you know it, it sort of injects a whole new life into the last quarter of the album yeah and i think it was sarah's idea to distort the vocal um which is a really fun thing i think it like takes it to another Level. Yeah, that sounds great. But it should still have been Skull Crusher. Yeah, I'm uh I mean sticking by it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it may it may now be too late, I think. Even maybe though, even I will have to admit that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Someone slammed the door last night and woke me up again. Couple shouting out in the street and fighting and screaming like it's the end. Try to close my eyes real tight. Try to stand up straight Try to act interested all day Or act enthusiastic but it's not okay Depression, it's a new low Days are drifting real slow Wishing maybe I'd know Where I'm going wrong Depression, it's a new low Days are drifting real slow Wishing maybe I'd know where I'm going wrong Fear is knocking at my door But I don't keep friends like that no more Winter's coming in and my windows are broken Hope it doesn't come up through the floor And then the final song on the record is Real Slow, which is... Um, I, I remember writing it, it was at Eastbourne College and someone hadn't turned up for their guitar lesson. And um, the I, I, I sort of the the verse was about being kept up at night. There was a the, the, at the time there was a couple living over the road that kept having these very very loud fights, and um, and then one would inevitably sort of come out the front door and jump in the car, and then the other person would come out and start screaming. And, and so the 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 lyrics are literally from that. Um, 
But I think it's one of my favourite songs on the album. I think this is also a dark horse on the record. Um, it's just got a real simplicity to it. Yeah, it's a beauty. I think, uh, again, you know, it's very, it feels very truthful. Yeah. Very, um, you know, very exposed emotionally. Um, probably very relatable. But, you know, I'm a big fan of choruses where you can, you, you know, and there's quite a few on the album, I think, Stay Afloat is like that. Um, uh, you know, where you, you sort of, you say, you know, it's 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 just quick and simple. You know, it feels almost too simple. Yeah. But the fact is you say, you know, you say everything you've got to say. Yeah. And so, you know, so concisely, you know, yeah. I think that's a, that's almost the sort of ultimate, that's what you want from a chorus. Yeah. It's just hard to do. And, yeah. you know, I think, you know, that's a great thing about this song. Yeah. I think it's also the only song on the album with a, an actual piano on it, which I hadn't realised, but that's how far we'd... We'd sort of gone down the synth hole. Yeah. <laughs> I'd strayed. Yeah, and um, and I love I love Ant's kind of ascending sort of guitar desk cam that goes over the back section. Yeah, I kind of wish we had we had we had sort of kept it going. It's so short. I think it's something it's something ridiculous, like two minutes thirty one. Yeah, and there are six choruses in there. You know, you just <sighs> some songs you just don't know how to flesh them out. You don't know how to make them any. Because you wouldn't want to throw a middle section in or a breakdown no. and then build it back up. You know what I mean? There's only so many things you can do. I think it's a, for me, it's a bit of a a kind of sister song to uh, Keeping It In, maybe. Yeah. Um, and even Stay Afloat as well. I feel like they're all very hypnotic. Yeah. And I guess, I guess we sort of did that thing on Keeping It In of, of you know. Extending getting, it. Yeah, really extending it. So you get really lost in the song. And, um, well, no, you don't want to do the same do the same, yeah, yeah. The same trick to yeah. twice. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you, we recorded it so fast, we really did most of it in about eight days. Yeah. Um, and then we did another two or three days of vocals, maybe a bit longer vocals. But um, I think that's what was so enjoyable about it. It's sort of, you know, we had the demos, but the band had never played any of the songs. And, um, you know, moving so fast, it's sort of, it's a miracle actually that they all sort of seem to have. They sort of they seem to sort of pull themselves into quite neat sort of three or four groups in the record, you know. Um, and they all, but they also seem to retain all the songs seem to retain their own sort of integrity. But I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I I had no idea what the, I did, I I didn't think the record was going to be a cohesive thing. I, I, maybe you never do, if you've written it over such a long period of time, you know. Yeah, I mean, you have a unique perspective on it as a songwriter, don't you? Because yeah. you can probably remember where you re wrote each song and yeah. what headspace you're in and but when you hear hear it as a you know even for me hearing the, them as a bunch of demos you know I hear them get them all at the same time yeah, and you yeah. hear them together and yeah it feels very cohesive to me but did um, you but, I but mean you 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 know you're almost like you're the apart from producing the the main role you know you sort of a and r the record as well you picked all the <laughs> songs um did you did you did you hear did you think what am I trying to say? Did you were you confident that it was going to end up being a cohesive thing? Did you know which songs were going to end up being the most important? Not not commercially, but in terms of the track listing on the record. Um, yeah, I guess I had my own instincts about them, and I think you know I remember we had a lot of discussions about well about which songs to choose, given that we had a limited amount of time yeah. to record in. Um, 
and I guess a big part of that was probably not doing the same thing on every twice, song. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah so you want to have, I don't know. There's a there's a sort of graveyard, and there's run down, and there's uh, you know, it's kind of stay afloat, um, and and then you know you've got a sort of super acoustic song as well. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, and then var- various. It's dawned on me a little slower, kind of in the same camp, and yeah, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't, you know. And then also, so there's that side of it, sort of in terms of the basic kind of, I don't know, style of song. So yeah. then there's lyrical themes. You want to feel co- cohesive, but you don't want it to be ten songs about the same thing. Yeah. Um, but you want it to feel like a picture of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you know, coming into it w- with relative objectivity, you know, I just wanted, I wanted to hear something that felt like it was always developing and changing but also felt cohesive yeah. and I think that was probably the most important thing with, with song selection. Yeah. And in terms of the way we, we recorded it, in hindsight, had you had you ever worked like that before in terms of production or, or recording yourself? Because you, I, I feel like all your records take about six months to record. <laughs> the key, uh, the Keen records are t- tend have tended to be more... Protracted. Uh, but I guess yeah, they're more protracted. polished things, aren't they? They're more sort of... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, like Mount Mount Desolation albums, particularly the first one, we we did very much like that. Great, like like this record. But um, but obviously, I, w- I wasn't. I was playing, yeah, the whole time, so I'm not really producing. So um, it was, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't produced a record like this before. And, and you know, I guess the the most important thing is preparation and yeah. and having a, a band that are, are a really uh skilled but also sort of super sympathetic you know and sort yeah. of so, you know emotionally and cerebrally yeah <laughs> yeah thanks tim pleasure wouldn't have happened without you it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> Massive thanks to Tim, as if offering up his uh, production services and uh, beautiful studio wasn't enough, uh, taking an hour of, out of his Saturday morning to, to chat through the record with me. Um, you know, it's self-explanatory. The man's a legend. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't listened to the album yet, please do so. If you haven't bought a ticket for the May, uh, April or May dates, please do so. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Keep blasting that record. Um, recommend it to friends and family that's how the word gets spread and uh yeah we love you lots we'll see you at the gigs see you in a bit